Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura Austin. And I'm Joelle Shalia. Today we are joined by the co-owner, founder, and president of Koval Distillery, Sonnet Berniker Hart. Sonnet and her husband, Robert, left their very different jobs in Washington, D.C. 10 years ago to open Koval in 2008. Chicago's first distillery since the mid-1800s, Koval is located at 5121 North Ravenswood and uses generations of knowledge and new techniques to produce organic whiskey, liquors, and specialty spirits. Hello and welcome, Sonnet. How are you today? <laughs> very well. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Well, we're so glad to have you. And as we said, Koval was the first distillery to open in Chicago since the mid-1800s. So how did you come to make the move and open Koval? Well, the move was really about our love for Chicago. And uh, we had very established careers in the D.C. area. And it was that point where I was both pregnant with our first child and we were looking to purchase a home and had you know, enough for a down payment. But then as we were looking, we realized that if we did that, we would be quite literally settling down in the D.C. area. And I always wanted to move back to Chicago. And so it brought up a lot of questions for us. Do we really want to settle down um, in in that area or do we want to be where we really want to be even though our careers aren't there? And so we decided that Instead of purchasing a home, we would move to the city we love, Chicago, and use the down payment to buy a still, uh, which we did. And then we moved in with my parents for about two and a half years and invested everything into growing our distillery. And what made you choose this specific area of the city for Koval's location? Well, you know, having grown up in Chicago, I know uh, the importance of reaching out to different aldermen and working with your local community when you're establishing a business. And that was a very important first step for us. We looked at the city and all of the different areas where we thought we might want to be because we wanted to live and work in the same you know, part of the city. And a number of, uh, you know, different areas came to mind, but only two aldermen wrote me back after I wrote letters explaining what I wanted to do. And uh, one was uh, the alderman in Logan Square, uh, at the time was Alderman Cologne. And then, uh, however, Gene Schulter, the alderman here, the 47th Ward at the time, not only wrote me back, but he called me on the phone. And he said, I want you in my ward. Uh, I'm going to help you. Uh, when are you coming to town? <laughs> so <laughs> it was very, it was very much a Chicago experience. And so we actually explained to him that we were coming into town very soon. He says, "Great, I've got some places that I think would be perfect for your distillery." <laughs> so we're like, "Wow, this is real service." And so he um, introduced us to some local real estate owners uh, in the corridor uh, that had some industrial property, and in fact, we found our space in one weekend. Wow. <laughs> was, it was it. I mean, the, you know, the alderman had sort of picked it out for us uh, essentially and it, it worked and it was perfect. And that's how we ended up being here. And we were so happy. <laughs> yeah. It's a great area to be at for sure. What a cool story. Uh, how many distilleries are there currently in the United States? Well, when we started, there were only around 30 in the entire U.S., and most of them were very, very large. And now they're well over 2,000. So Whoa. you can see that we've had a real boom in distilling over the past 10 years. We hear there's a great story behind the name Koval. 
Tell us where the name came from. Sure. Uh, When we were trying to think of a name for our distillery, we wanted to honor in some way Robert's family because he learned how to distill from his grandfather. His grandfather's last name is Schmied, which means smith or blacksmith. Uh, And as we were going to be moving back to Chicago, we decided to visit my great uncle. We'd been visiting him often while we lived in the D.C. area. He lived in Brooklyn. It was in his late 90s at the time. And so for one of our what would be last visits to him, uh, we were talking about my great grandfather, Monik, or Manuel was his name. Monik was a nickname who left Vienna uh, when he was very young, walked down the stairs one day and says, Europe is over. It's all about America. And everyone thought he was crazy. And he ended up moving to Chicago to start a battery company called the KW Battery Company. And in doing so, they gave him the nickname Koval, which I did not know at the time. So my great uncle was telling us this story And Koval in many Eastern European languages means smith or blacksmith. But in Yiddish, it has a little extra meaning, meaning which is somebody who, like a blacksmith, forges a head or forges something new. And that became his sort of extra nickname because he already had Monik as a real nickname. (laughs) And he used a blacksmith as his ex liberis, which I'd seen all these old German books of his in my parents' library, but I had no clue why he had a blacksmith. I said, he's an electrician. You know, he makes batteries. Why would he have a blacksmith? And that's why. And so as we were leaving uh, my great uncle Sigmund's house, we were talking about how the name Koval was perfect because not only... Did it capture the spirit of what we were doing, which was very much like my great grandfather leaving somewhere safe, so to speak, our safe careers, our, our lives that we'd established there and going somewhere new and doing something different. Uh, but it also means Schmied or like Smith, which was the, the last name of my husband's grandfather, whom he learned distilling from. So it sort of married both sides and honored both men. And we thought it was perfect. You use alternate grains like oat and millet. What else makes your product different from the other products on the market right now? Our process is very different. So one aspect of that is that we use alternative grains, and that's been something uh, that we wanted to do from the beginning is to offer unique flavors. Uh, But what we also wanted to do is have a different approach to distilling than what was popular in America at the time or what was really standard uh, in America at the time. And in so doing, we've created kind of a, a new school of distilling, almost a revolution in how small producers actually distill, because we also do a lot of education uh, through our consulting company, Kota. We've educated about 3,500 people as to how to distill and how to start a distillery. We've set up over 175 distilleries for others in North America and in Europe. And our approach is one that comes from Robert's grandfather's traditions of distilling fruit. And when you make brandy in Europe, whether you're in France or in Austria or Germany, where a lot of brandy is very popular, the the what you're distilling it comes off the still in three parts heads makes you go blind and crazy so everybody gets rid of that part we hope (laughs) um then you have the heart cut which is the pure ethanol that's the best portion of the distillate and then you have the tails 
tails are not bad for you in the same sense as the the heads are. They're very similar, um, sort of from a, I guess a health perspective, um, but <laughs> as the hearts, but they don't taste very good. They taste and smell like a wet dog. Now it's usable alcohol, as I said. And so many of these large companies in America, and you can easily understand this, they're making millions of gallons of whiskey for the world. I mean, and to do that, they're not going to take, cut out the tails, which is usable alcohol. They're going to take the heart cut and the tail cut and put it together, stick it in a barrel, age it for a while. The barrel acts to mellow those sort of wet dog type flavors and uh, aromas. And, um, and that creates a product that, you know, a lot of people have grown to love. There's, this is not to say that it's a bad product. It's a different product, different kind of product when you're adding tails to the, to the end product. We wanted to take a completely different approach. Robert comes from this brandy family. When you're distilling apricots or pears or apples in, in Austria, for example, like his grandfather, he would never include the tails, which are oilier. They've got, uh, they're the long ends of the distillate. They're, they're just not pure. They muddy the flavors and aromas of like a pure apricot or a pear. And so he only uses the heart cut. And this is common for brandy producers. And if you were to enter brandy into a competition in Europe and it had a lot of tails in it, it would never win. So, and it would also be considered an error in a way. And so when we were thinking of making whiskey, we said, well, why wouldn't we give the same respect to rye or to oat or to corn or to any of these grains as a brandy producer would to an apricot. And since we were coming from this brandy tradition, we applied that to grain. And that really separates us from others on the market. And can you tell us a little bit of the difference? You brought some samples for us today. Sure. Can you, um, between like the barrel gin and the dry gin, can you tell us what the difference might be? Sure. Well, the I brought the dry gin. I didn't actually bring the barrel gin with okay. me, but the difference between the dry gin and the barrel gin is the dry gin starts for us with a base of a white whiskey. So it's like a white rye whiskey. It serves as the, the base of it. And, and then it is macerated with botanicals. So it's almost sort of like a, uh, a cold, uh, a cold press, you know, of the botanicals in the rye white whiskey, and then it's distilled with the botanicals. Mm -hmm. So you're getting a lot of saturation of the oils and the, the essences of the botanicals into the gin. Um, not everybody does that, both a maceration and a distillation. So that's how the dry gin is produced. But then the barrel gin would be our dry gin and then aged in our whiskey barrels. So you get another flavor element to it. And it's sort of a mix between a gin and a whiskey uh, in its flavor. And you can get a really great barreled gin Negroni, um, you know, at uh, uh there's, there's a really good one at Little Bad Wolf, for example, that I've had. So with the barrel gin, which is, so it makes great cocktails and, uh, but it, it adds a new dimension to the gin. Um, what, uh, the other product that I brought is the bourbon, which is our most sort of Illinois focused product. All of our grains come from the Midwest, but our corn for 
the bourbon is from Illinois uh, always. So, which is really fun. Uh, bourbon has to be 51% corn by law. Mm. Most other bourbons on the market uh, use sort of the usual suspect grains, you know, malted barley or rye or wheat. We don't. <laughs> we like to do things differently. So our bourbon is a mash bill of corn and millet, which makes it probably the most unique bourbon in the world. Um, and I think that it is a bourbon that's incredibly approachable. So for people who aren't usually into bourbon, we find at trade shows and that they say, oh, but I like yours, <laughs> which <laughs> makes me very happy. <laughs> and you use organic products as well. Everything is organic and kosher. Wonderful. How much does a, a barrel of whiskey weigh? Really? Well, we have 30 gallon barrels. Okay. And so, and uh, I mean, if you can imagine what it would be to lift a 30 gallon barrel, it'd be pretty heavy. Sure. Yeah. I was watching yeah. some videos of some of your employees ho hoisting them up on their, yeah. on their shoulders. That might've been pre-fill. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Cobalt um, hosts cocktail classes, tours, and private events. Tell us a bit more about what visitors can expect on a tour of Cobalt. Absolutely. At Kovo, we really believe in education. So obviously, we're we're sharing our knowledge with other people who want to start distilleries. I would say that most of the distilleries, even in the Midwest, have come through us in one way or another, whether they've come to our workshops or we've helped them, you know, get their equipment, set them up, train them, um, you know. So, and we also came from backgrounds and teaching. You know, I was a professor and Robert also taught some classes as well at university. So we want to make sure that the experience at Koval is a, is a thorough educational experience. So our tours go into, you know, how the products are made, what are the differences between different kinds of products. A lot of people don't really know the difference between a bourbon and a rye uh, and, and what uh, constitutes a bourbon, for example, uh, by law even. I mean, there are legal definitions of a lot of these products. So those are things that we try to get across. We also do a lot of different cocktail classes. Some are themed like pre-prohibition cocktails. Uh, mm -hmm. And we do workshops, sort of whiskey workshops, where people can get really in-depth information about whiskey, different kinds of whiskey, um, the differences uh, in, in how they might be made as well. So we, we, do, we try and do a lot. And then through our consulting company, Kota, we've turned Chicago into a center for learning about how to actually become a craft distiller. So, and those, those courses are even more in depth. Excellent. Um, so you were featured in the January and February edition of Sophisticated Living's 10 Chicagoans to Love and Follow in 2018. The photographs are very beautiful, by the way. Um, <laughs> how you. do you feel about that feature and being featured in that way? I mean, I'm so honored. <laughs> of course. I mean, it's a wonderful magazine. Uh, it's women run owned magazine, which I think is fabulous. And, uh, just to, to, you know, that they chose me is, is really wonderful. I mean, I love showing other women that they can run businesses and do so and be moms and, uh, you know, and also have other pastimes, other things that they do as well, um, in their community. So they, they highlighted all those things and I was very honored and humbled by it. Another project that um, you were involved in, Zero Weeks. Mm -hmm. Zero Weeks is a new documentary about Chicago filmmaker Kai Dickens, which addresses the issue of the United States being the only industrialized nation that does not mandate paid leave. 
you have been one of the small business owners in Chicago making the case for a paid family and medical leave. Can you tell us a little bit more about what it means to be a good employer? <laughs> well, I, I feel that it's absolutely important that people are not punished for being sick because that in itself is a punishment. <laughs> and so we've always had you paid sick leave. Um, we've always, you know, we even have, in addition to paid sick leave, we have bereavement because I mean, that's horrible. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have to deal with, with, um, you know, un unfortunately a death in the family and they've already had their sick leave and then that becomes a, a burden financially. And so that's, that's something that we don't ever want to be a burden for, for people who work for us. Um, funny enough, we've actually only had men have our family leave policy for pregnant, you know, for, for having children. We haven't had any women had chil have children yet. So, um, but I, I think that it's, it's important to, to set an example and to show that it's good business practices and it's important to, to do that. So Koval created fun cocktails for Women's History Month, like the Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Jane <laughs> Addams. Can you tell us a little bit more about the history of distilling and particularly the role of women in the industry? I know you already touched a lot on the history, but has there been any other women pioneers like yourself? It's always been a woman's industry. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the first still ever created was uh, actually a Jewish woman in ancient Egypt. She was called... Um, I think the Maria the Jewess and mm. she created the first still and without that technology, you know, it was, she's been referred to in many medieval manuscripts as being the forerunner for, uh, distillation equipment. And so I guess you could say women were there at the beginning and we're still here now. So That's great. you, you also have many women who, even, you know, after the Middle Ages, but, but throughout, women have always been associated with brewing, whether it's, uh, you know, tinctures or, or, or creating different distilled products for medicinal purposes. I mean, women and brewing were always linked, um, sometimes in a detrimental way because it led certain people to believe that women were witches, you know, and that hence you get the brewing in the cauldron and all of that. But it's really all related to the fact that women were always associated with making potions and making things that uh, were imbibed and were medicinal. I can't say that alcohol is good for you, but um, it sure tastes great. But in the past, you know, people would associate certain distilled, you know, concoctions as medicinal for sure. And women have always been, you know, associated with distilleries too, even in America. So I think that the fact that people question, you know, whether women are have been involved in it is really a more recent phenomenon. In fact, I, I think if you look back maybe a few hundred years, it was always associated with women. And only now, I think that with the, with the, from the turn, you know, af maybe after prohibition, you know, men were very associated with it, but really it's, it's been a women's business. And personally, you know, I've, known many women in this industry on every level from sales to owning and operating distribution companies to other distilleries to, you know, every aspect of the business. So I think that we're, all, we're there. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Design is also an important part of your process. Who designs your bottles? 
Well, we're very much a family business in every way, and design has been important to me and to my family forever. My, my father's a photographer, and my mother's an artist, and my sister's a designer, and she owns Dando Projects, which is a liquor design company, and I am lucky to be able to work with my sister on this. So my sister does all of our branding and our designs. She did our internationally award-winning gin label, uh, which is laser cut, foiled, and embossed, uh, and paper, which makes it really unique. And on our liqueurs, my mother did the drawings for the liqueurs, uh, like the ginger drawing that we have or the rose hips. So this is just, you know, an ex- everything we do at Colval is really an extension of who we are as individuals, our family, Uh, the things we love, and art is certainly one of them. Speaking of family, Susan for President is your newest line of peach and prune brandy. This line pays homage to your Aunt Susan, and the design on these bottles are particularly striking. Can you tell us more about your Aunt Susan and why you chose to honor her in this way? My Aunt Susan was one of the most fun people I've ever known in my entire life. And I was very blessed to have an aunt who, you, you know, you, you, we, she lived in Italy. She was, uh, an expat from Winnetka <laughs> and, uh, became an Italian citizen. And she had a slogan her whole life, which was up with fun. And she, uh, was always the life of the party. She was a, a sculptress, so she lived in Carrara, which in, is in Italy, and that's the center for anarchy. Actually, the anarchist movement was, uh, Carrara was the focal point for it. But it also was very attractive to a lot of artists and sculptors because all of the marble, you know, the white marble comes from the Carrara, the mountains in Carrara. And so we would go and visit her and go to all these vernissages, so these art shows and with marble and great food. And it was always a big party. And one of the things that Susan would do my whole life is every year she was running for president of the world, (laughs) which is funny because she was sort of a bit of an anarchist. And, And so she had no interest in bureaucracy or any of the true aspects of being a president of anything except for fun. And yet this was a very calculated campaign. And so every year she would have a new slogan and she would have new cards. And it was sort of part of her whole artistic persona to be running for president, uh, just promoting love and acceptance and joy and happiness and good food and family and friends and all the things that, boy, I would, I would vote for. (laughs) And, and in doing this, um, you know, we, we would have these cards uh, and they would have like a little stamp of one of her uh, drawings on it. Um, and uh, and it would say, I'm with you in 92 or Love Alive in 95. And when it came time to us wanting to have this line of brandy, I was talking with Una, my sister, and she had just found one of Susan's cards in her drawer And it always was very heartening when we would find these because Susan unfortunately passed away of breast cancer. And so, um, and so Una found one and we were just talking about how much we missed her. And, you know, we were thinking at the same time in the same phone conversation of a name for the new Brandy line. And Una said, you know, why don't we just keep the campaign going? (laughs) 
And I said, you know what? It's very out of the box, but I like it. Mm-hmm. And so we, we said, we're just going to, it's going to be Susan for president. And, and, and that's how we sort of kept the campaign going and promoting all the things with it that she loved and, and appreciated. And it's a kind of posthumous uh, performance art almost in a way because, you know, right when we released it, the Tribune endorsed her. And it's, it, I mean, it was amazing, you know, how it, everyone talks about Susan for president. And the campaign is now worldwide in a way that Susan could have never even imagined, but probably would find absolutely amusing. And I have these distributors talking to me from, you know, South Korea and China and Japan and Australia. And they said, you know, they'll call me and they'll say, Sonnet, Sonnet, I want to make sure I get some Susan. I want Susan for president. (laughs) You know, and just people are saying it. They say, you know, people want Susan for president. And it's so, I find it really just beautiful and sweet that we've been able to actually keep the campaign going. It's a lovely story. Is there anything else you can tell us about yourself, your career, or your profession that would be interesting or helpful to our listeners, especially other working mothers? Yes. Well, I, you know... (laughs) One of the things that I've found to be the the greatest part of being an entrepreneur, and uh, you know, we're a woman-owned business, and uh, and I'm and I'm running all of the sales and marketing for Koval, and I'm homeschooling two kids. So, I I feel that having your own business allows you to make your own rules. And when we started, and this is one of the reasons why we did this too, we wanted to be in Chicago, but we wanted to be together. And, you know, I had children late, you know, because I had a lot of education, which I used, you know, I was a professor for about 10 years, but I, you know, when I finally had children, I, I really, I don't know, it was a big adjust for me in how I saw my life. And I wanted to just be with my kids, but I am very aggressively competitive and wanted to still, you know, have a business and do things and and figuring out how to make that happen. And and so when you when you can make the own rules, I can nurse on demand while I'm at my at my place of business and I would do that. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I I now recently, you know, you've seen um you know, MP, I think the, they're members of parliament in Australia, a woman who was nursing on the parliamentary floor. Mm-hmm. You've seen it in Canada. But I mean, this is really only recent that women have been able to bring motherhood into their career lives. Usually you check your motherhood at the door and then you become a working woman and then you become a mom again at the end of the day or something like that. And I feel that, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have a very unique opportunity to be a working mother. And I was, and I would nurse all the time and answer phones and on the email and the kids were there and there were toys all over the place. And in fact, when we first started Koval, we had, before we had a store, because I had to get the laws changed to make it possible to retail and do tours on site. But before that happened, where the store is, was a kid area with like books and a slide and there was like squishy mats on the floor and all these different toys. And I would have, you know, people coming in saying, can I sign my kids up? 
And I would say, <laughs> I would say, wow, For this whiskey we're making care. whiskey and gin here. I don't know really uh, what. That's <laughs> we're amazing. not doing kid classes right. yet, you know. And uh, and they would say, well, isn't this like a daycare or a play center? And I said, no, I just have my kids with me at work. And now that my kids are older, <laughs> it hasn't changed. You know, my kids still have an office. They overuse our copy machine. You know, it, <laughs> I'm sure. it, it may be a little annoying at times, I think, for my other team members. But, you know, it's it's also kind of fun and it's neat. And my kids know way more about business than so many people I know. And it's they I haven't taught them. They've absorbed it and they know everything. They know all about distribution channels. They know about promotions and marketing and impressions and risk, risk management. They know about loans. They know about so many things because they're there and they get it. And I don't, you know, they've asked all the questions and I'm there able to explain it in real time to them. And it's such, it's been such a blessing. And I feel so lucky to be able to do that. And I found that it, also hasn't been a barrier to doing work and people think that it may be annoying you know and I have them in the car so oftentimes you know with all the modern technology we have I can drive them to Old Town or their Kung Fu class on Fullerton or all the different things that they may do or Gus Giordano's right here and I can go up to Gus Giordano's and I can be sitting there on the floor while my son's taking all of his dance classes and I'll be doing work and my other son will be doing, you know, reading next to me or doing whatever he wants to do. And it's possible. It's just you need to figure out how to make it work, but it can work. And even when I'm, you know, sometimes I'm in the car and I'll be talking to a distributor on speaker or, you know, my, they'll hear my kids in the background. And they'll be like, are your kids with you? Is it a day off from school? And I'll be like, no, my kids are with me all the time. <laughs> and, uh, and they'll say, oh, I've got, you know, how many kids do you have? And it becomes a way to be very personal that you would never have the opportunity for if you were just a working woman, right. you know, because then that's not a part of it at all. But here it's a part of it. And I know about all my distributors, kids. I know about all, you know, I have a personal connection to them now because I'm a working mother and my kids are with me and are a part of my day to day. So I feel that it's the new frontier for women. I think it's actually the the, the uh, a next step in feminism is to bring the children into the the possibility of a work life for women. Unfortunately, I don't think that that can happen if you're like working in a hospital or if you you know if you're a lawyer and you're you're in the courthouse. But I think for women who think about being entrepreneurs, I think that this is an element that they may not think about, but that is a real opportunity if they're interested it's not for everybody and i i certainly won't say it's easy but it's possible and i think that a lot of things like this haven't been possible before well thank you so much sana for sharing your story with us today um you can find Colval at our upcoming andersonville flower and garden show on april 21st and 22nd Thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. You can find more information about Koval Distillery by visiting their website at www.koval-distillery.com and follow them on Instagram at Koval Distillery. 
For show notes and more information about Sonnet and the Koval team, please visit Andersonville.org. Always Andersonville, the podcast, is engineered and edited by Andy Miles in Studio C at Transistor, a gallery, shop, performance, recording, and teaching space located at 5224 North Clark Street. Have your own podcast idea? The studio is available to rent. Please call 872-208-5877 or stop by the store for details.